Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. This is Jennifer Terlick, and I'm the CEO of Maker Kids. If you want to build meaningful relationships, check out the Build Your Network podcast with Travis Chappell and Eric Skorsinski. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today on the Build Your Network podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, the the biggest issue with this conversation is that I don't know how to fit all the different things that you've done into this one talk, but we'll do our best to cover as much as we can. Uh, I want to go back to really the beginning. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about like middle school Jennifer, like what was on your mind? Where were you at at that time? And uh, what was childhood kind of like for you? Oh, that's a great question. Well, middle school me, I was a little bit of a geek. I liked computers. I liked reading. And uh, unfortunately, I was experiencing some bullying and such at school. But I had a really transformative experience in middle school that shaped my life. I was doing a book report and for enrichment, my teacher gave me an assignment, an additional special assignment, which was to make a website about my book report. And the book was Harry Potter. It was the early days of Harry Potter. It was the early days of the internet. So I taught myself how to make a website. 
Then I grabbed all the Harry Potter images I could find on the internet and put them on my website, not knowing about copyright law or anything when I was 12. I handed in the book report and got a good mark and forgot about it. And then a couple months later, my brother came down the stairs holding a magazine and said, Jen, didn't you make a website called Jen's Harry Potter? And I said, yeah, why? He said, well, I think it's featured in this magazine. And it was. And I logged back on and there was the hit counter on the site showing how many people had visited, said hundreds of thousands of people had visited. There were all these comments in the guest book saying, this is the most comprehensive Harry Potter image website on the internet. And it was extremely empowering for me. Suddenly the bullying became less relevant. I got more engaged at school and I realized that I could do things that could help other people and that I could be a leader. So that was a really transformative experience for me and it, and it shaped my, the rest of my middle school experience and the rest of my life. Right. Absolutely. So did that kind of put in your mind, I mean, obviously it kind of changed how you viewed some of your interests and, and abilities. Did you have a specific career path that you had wanted up until that point? Did it change once you realized like the potential of websites and, and kind of technology and how you could kind of leverage that? Well, I was actually looking back recently at some of my like notes from that time. And I had this little piece of paper that said like what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so the three items were pop star, actress, and working with computers. Hmm. So I think after that experience, the working with computers part sort of moved up a bit through the ranks. (laughs) Right, right. And I mean, this is, like you said, it's the early days of the internet. I mean, really early days of like computers. I mean, like people like really thinking about it as like an everyday tool. Did you have anybody in your life that like really helped guide you along that path or anybody else? Or or did you kind of feel like the outsider in the family? It's like, I've got my computer over here. I'm doing this. And everyone was like, I don't understand what you're doing, but I guess it's working. <laughs> well, I think my parents really helped me. They gave me uh, Apple access to their Apple computer as of age three or so. And I was into this really cool software at the time called Reader Rabbit. So I think that really helped me because I learned computer skills like typing and mouse, using a mouse, hand-eye coordination from a young age. I think it probably did get to the point where I was like, mm, I'm over here with my computer. And they're like, <laughs> what are you up to over there? But yeah, I think those they really helped me with it and that shaped my life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I can relate to that a little bit. Um, obviously, I, not in the same exact realm, but for me, it was it was like video production. So like my my parents didn't understand the tech side of it, but they were they did everything they could to like give what they could. So I could, you know, if I said I needed this to do something, they would try to make it happen. Or if, if I would show them a result and say, hey, this is what I need to get there, you know, then they, they would do a lot to support it. But very quickly, I was like, felt like the strange person in the corner with my laptop trying to figure out, you know, how to do something. And, uh, but, but that's really cool. That's cool that you had that support. So tell me a little bit about heading off to college. Like when you initially went, what did you go to study for? And was that in alignment with what you actually ended up, ended up doing? So I was trying to decide between whether I wanted to do business or arts. I applied to both. I wanted to be, I was really into social impact and wanted to become a humanitarian. And I eventually decided to do business because I thought it could apply to many different areas of life. 
So that's what I did. And it definitely ended up becoming very applicable to both what I started doing after college and then what I do today as well. And I minored in arts um, in psychology specifically, which was also really integral to what I do today. Interesting. Interesting. So it sounds like you're very much left and right brain. You've got the creative side and you've also got kind of the the very techie side, I guess, for lack of a better word. You've got the ability to kind of think through things in a way. And I, I'm jealous there because I've got a lot of the artistic side and not much on the other side of the of the brain happening. Uh, it feels like a lot of the time. So that's that's really interesting. So what name maybe a relationship or two in college or maybe a specific course that helped kind of influence where you're at today? Maybe somebody that kind of opened up a door and said, hey, maybe you could use all these abilities and these traits to do, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Well, during university, we had the chance to do an independent study with a professor if we were, if we wanted to, and if a professor agreed. So I approached the professor who I thought was the coolest. (laughs) He was the professor of marketing for some of the upper year classes. And he'd also been in the marketing hall of fame and won a bunch of awards and wrote for newspapers and did speaking engagements. And I thought that was super cool. So I approached him to ask if he'd be willing to do an independent study Mm. course with me. And he did, he was, and we chose as the topic, how to do marketing to millennials, which was a question at the time that a lot of companies were just starting to ask themselves. And so For assignments, I would write a blog, I think it was each week, a blog entry about a different aspect of how to market towards millennials. And then he and I would get together and he would give his feedback on it. And we would basically just chat for about an hour. And it was really amazing for me to be able to have that time with someone who was a role model for me and we would just sit in his office and, you know, sometimes he would put his feet up on the desk and it was just, uh, it was a really chill environment. And I got to ask him about how he published these articles and landed speaking gigs, how he chose what to do um, in his career and any tips he had for success. So I think that was super helpful and I've still been in touch with him to this day over the years. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's really cool that you're able to find a figure like that to kind of speak into the direction of your career. Um, I, I want to talk about your career a little bit because one of the things that you've done and now hearing a lot of your story from you, it sounds like your story was a lot of people seeing what you were able to do, whether it was the teacher asking you to do this extra assignment, whether it was parents, you know, kind of helping you fuel this pursuit or this professor kind of giving you guidance as you've kind of grown like you've really done that now through maker kids and i'm curious if you kind of talk a little bit about that and you know as a as a parent myself you know like i'm starting to think of ways to to get my daughter learning different things and and trying to experience different topics and and really understand them on a deeper level so can you tell me a little bit about kind of the genesis of maker kids and how that how that came about yeah sure So I had attended a program based at NASA called Singularity University, where I got to learn about 
how to apply exponential technologies like 3D printing and robotics to global grand challenges like poverty, water, and education. And after that, I realized that I wanted to provide something like that to kids and give them an experience like what I had when I was a kid. And so that's when I got started with Maker Kids and grew it from what was initially a very small outfit, seeing about five kids a week to see many, many more than that. And yeah, we've evolved in many ways over the years and now teach coding, robotics and Minecraft to kids and use those as a tool uh, through our camps, programs and parties to help them build confidence, social skills, resilience and a positive relationship with technology. Hmm. So we're really excited that kids have started businesses, won prizes from NASA, as well as one of the parts I'm most excited about is they've um, had positive mental health outcomes. Hmm. And in fact, children's mental health professionals refer kids to us because of the results that they've seen. So that's hmm. really exciting. And yeah, that, that's kind of the journey of thinking yeah. kids. Yeah. So you mentioned three things. You said coding, robotics, and Minecraft. And like one of those doesn't sound like the others. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. So, and you can speak in all three of these, but you specifically mentioned Minecraft, which I thought was really interesting. And can you talk maybe about the, I mean, number one, why this is such a, because I, I, I've seen this happen a lot. Like I've seen a lot of kids have jumped onto the Minecraft, you know, train and like, it's, it's a huge game. Like where's the, where's the value and like what, what have you guys done to kind of capitalize on that a little bit? Well, Minecraft is a really cool game for those listening that don't know. It's kind of like Lego on the screen where you can mm. take blocks and build amazing creations. And in fact, it's become a mandatory school subject in certain parts of Europe. Really? So a lot of parents I speak to, it's the only game they'll let their kids play. And the reasons why are it's extremely educational you get to learn all sorts of skills like computer and mouse skills, hand-eye coordination, in addition to skills like coding, 3D design, as well as key electronics concepts too. And one of the things that we like most about Minecraft is its ability to be used as a tool to build communication skills, mm -hmm. social skills, nonviolent communication, teamwork, team goal setting, and to practice different social skills. So a lot of parents that sign their kids up, their kids like Minecraft, and then this is a way for them to, they all play in the same world together in a supervised manner. And so they're, they're not just playing alone at home hmm. or playing with random strangers on the internet. They're playing with this group of kids that have signed up together, that they're in the same class each week or each day of the camp. And they're doing things like setting group goals together, doing group builds together. They're sharing space and virtual sort of assets within Minecraft. And so we've seen some amazing social skill results from the programs in terms of what parents have reported to us. And we've actually started doing some programs specifically targeted at that. So uh, over the years, so many kids have signed up for our programs that have various diagnoses, like being on the autism spectrum, ADHD, and so forth. And we've heard that 
the families have seen positive results from the programs. Recently, we ran a program that was a social skills Minecraft program in partnership with an autism organization. And so it was kids on the autism spectrum. And each week they would learn social skills and have the opportunity to practice those within Minecraft. And the therapists that we partnered with started seeing and documenting results as of the second session. Um, so it's really powerful. And in the, it's been the case for many families that they've said they, they've tried a lot of other things to build social skills, build vocabulary, things like that. And that this has actually been the most effective. Who would have thought? Minecraft. Yeah. yeah, it's it's wild. And and it really is. It's it's funny. I was just sitting down and talking with uh with Travis the other day and we were we were writing out a script for something we were gonna be working on for for kids specifically. And we were sitting down trying to like write in the language of like, you know, I mean really middle school, junior high, you know, level age. And we were like laughing because it was so hard. Like and, and we're not old, you know, like we're like mid you know mid 20s like later 20s and and we're like man what's the language like what what resonates and i i think it's true and i think i think we see this with a lot of like parents too is like if they see things that they don't understand you know and like even myself like i ask about minecraft i know nothing beyond like i could identify it if i saw it but it's really fascinating like all the things that you just mentioned i think a lot of people can miss you know the value of it like i think a lot of parents see you know, they just see this app that their kids playing with and don't think of any benefit. And uh, I, I wonder if I wonder if you could speak into that a little bit because I think a lot of times as as parents, you know, like I said, there's there can be a fear of things that are new. You know, like I used to play outside. Why are you in front of a screen? You know, or you hear people say, you know, like you mentioned, like the fact that it can build social skills. Like that's something that is the opposite of most rhetoric from parents is like, oh, I want you to go make friends or be social. Like don't be playing a game or don't be on your computer all day. But in a lot of ways, like that is how people are social now. So like things have pivoted a lot. So can you maybe speak into that for someone who's listening and I guess what advice would you give to parents whose kids are maybe expressing a lot of interest in you know, in coding or, or in being behind a screen, like, can you talk about some of the benefits? I know you've covered some of the mental health side of this, but maybe some of the things that, that parents can overlook in these cases. Yeah, for sure. So the fact is kids are going to end up using screens at some point in their life, right? Whether it's while you're with them or if you choose not to allow them to use it, then, you know, after they leave the home. And so I think the really important thing is to a huge part of the parent's role is to help kids develop a positive relationship with screens. And I think it's good to do that while they're in the house because, you know, like something like alcohol, let's say, if there's never the chance to like practice using something, uh, that could potentially be dangerous and then they leave the house and then, you know, are moved out and then they start using it, that could be problematic. And so screens, similarly, are something that can be used in moderation, safely and successfully, or can be overused or used problematically. And so the thing is, it's all about helping them develop that relationship. Now, how can you do that? Well, it's not by allowing them unfettered, unrestricted access to screens. That's definitely not the case. 
because that can be very dangerous. I also don't think it's by completely restricting their access and not allowing them to use it. I think it's by allowing them to use screens in certain ways. So there's, have, there's been studies that have shown that there's a huge difference in terms of passive versus active screen time in terms of the effect on kids. So when they're doing passive consumption of videos, uh, playing games, all, you know, just sitting back and, and not being active, that's when some of the detrimental effects of screen time come into play. But screen time is way less detrimental, according to these studies, when kids are actually being active with it, when they're using screens to create, when they're using them to build their own games, when they're using them to like modify games and you know not just sit back and play them, but actually be creative in them and use them as a tool to learn new skills. And so I think for parents, it's about, if you're gonna set a screen time limit, I would um, put that into two buckets, a passive screen time limit and an active screen time limit, where ideally the active screen time limit is a higher amount of time than the passive screen time limit. And then figuring out how, you know, what's gonna happen during that time or how can you make sure it's safe, whether that's by being there with them or installing some sort of blockers and or by what a lot of parents do is outsource some of the productive screen time to an organization like ourselves to make sure it's safe, supervised, and introducing kids to how they can use this amazing tool they've been given for good and how they can use it to teach themselves things, how they can use it to benefit society. So that's how I would look at screens as a family. They're not inherently evil. They're not <laughs> completely innocent, but figuring yeah. out some sort of balance and a fit that works for your family in terms of how you're going to allow your kids to use them. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's and, and the thing there is like, it's a tool, you know what I mean? And it's, it's fairly neutral by itself. It's what are you going to do with it? And um, I, I want to just ask one more question about this, just because I'm, I'm truly like, I, it's foreign to me, you know, like when I, when I, my, my brother is, was the, so my person, I was always super creative. My brother was the type that was always taking apart computers and putting them back together. Like that was his personality. Like for me, I was like, give me the crayons and like paintbrushes and like video camera, like let's go. And he was very much like coding and building out things and creating apps and that, that sort of thing. And uh, I see now, like in, it's co it gets covered in the news over and over again. There's these camps teaching kids how to code. There's coding boot camps, coding workshops. You know, Google is running a lot of programs to help teach people how to code. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of learning coding? Is it something that you think every kid should have a basic understanding of? Do you think it's something that only people going to specific fields need to understand? Because Sometimes I see some of these things pop up and I'm like, should I know more about this than I do? <laughs> should I be taking some of these courses? Um, can you talk a little bit about, about coding? Yeah, for sure. I think coding is like a really good second language to learn. You know, in, in school, it's often been the case that school systems teach a second language, whether that's French, Spanish, or so forth. But I think a really key second language to know right now is coding. And why is that the case? Well, according to a Dell report, 
by 2030, over 85% of the new jobs at that time don't exist today. So basically in nine years from now, 85% of the new jobs are 85% of jobs don't exist today. That's pretty crazy. And so how can you prepare yourself for a future where you don't know what the jobs are gonna be? Well, if you think about what are the trends or how is society gonna look at that point, it seems like more and more technology is going towards artificial intelligence and robotics. And so a lot of people are worried about robots stealing their jobs. But I think it's a lot like the agricultural revolution or other revolutions where the jobs might move from you know, us actually doing the work to us programming the robots or the AIs to do the work. And so in a future like that, what skills are important? Well, the key skills I would argue are to be able to code those robots and AIs and also to contribute the social emotional skills that they lack. And so that's why I think coding is super important because it can give you a leg up in your career going forward. And also um, that's why social emotional skills are so important too, so that we can continue to contribute that, that key different, that key thing that differentiates us between uh, humans and robot and robots. So that's why I think that uh, learning to code and learning social emotional skills is so important. And that and that's something that I bring up a lot is that the when people talk about oh it's going to take get rid of jobs like there's always these cycles and jobs don't go away they just cycle into something else and so it's always interesting trying to figure out how to best prepare for that next wave or like what's it going to look like and um and I, I also think too it's that's why it's important to know like what you want to accomplish versus like what tools specifically do you want to use because you know, I've told people before, like, I always wanted to do storytelling, you know, and for a long time, that was crayons and paper. And then it was a VHS camera, and then it was a video camera. And then it was now it's a microphone, you know, like, you have to be comfortable pivoting and adapting to whatever new technology is going to come that way, and use that to accomplish your ultimate goal. Like, what's the thing that you want to do for people? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine 
is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You mentioned a little bit about kind of the, the social side of things, and I think it's a good time to kind of pivot into kind of our conversation about networking. And I want to ask this right off the bat. You've obviously, you're very well educated. You know a lot. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? I think that what you know is really helpful to help determine who you should know and how. Hmm. So I feel like learning those skills of like how to find people that you want to connect with and then how to connect with them is a first step that will enable you to do the all important step of connecting with people that you want to connect with or that could help you in your life or that you could help them. Who's been, I know you mentioned your professor earlier, who's been someone in your professional career that has maybe had a big impact or a relationship that had a significant impact on the trajectory that you took? Well, there's a professor at Stanford named John Crumboltz who I met with at the outset of my career exploration journey. So this was after I entered my corporate job after university and I was dissatisfied, couldn't figure out what to do next. And then I quit and started emailing and cold emailing people to ask if I could meet up with them and ask them how they figured out what to do with their lives to help me figure out what to do with mine. So one of the first people I met with was this professor from Stanford named John Crumboltz, who teach who taught career counselors how to do career counseling, which was very meta. And so I asked him, hey, John, I have all these different career ideas that I'm interested in, but I can't figure out which one I want to do. How do I figure it out? And he told me that he'd actually had over 20 different careers in his lifetime, including Mm. being a postman, including being a professor at Stanford. And so he recommended that I should figure out how to prototype each of those different careers I was considering in a small way to figure out which ones I would want to invest more time in and that I was most interested in. So that set me off on a whole journey that ended up becoming the basis for my book and a huge part of the book where I shadowed at different Silicon Valley companies and with different Silicon Valley investors and entrepreneurs, including the founders of Airbnb and Square, Kiva, Stanford Design School, and many others. And that's what my book is all about. How to go from having many different career options and not being sure of which ones you want to do to figuring out how to do what I call minimum viable commitments, Mm. check them out and see if there's something you want to invest further in. That way you don't, for example, just randomly go to law school without ever having spent any time in a law office and then realizing three years later and possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars later when you start your first law job that, oops, you don't like this. Right. And so this is a way to try and get away from that sort of issue 
by prototyping careers you might be interested in. So for example, spending a day with a lawyer before you decide to make an investment like that. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. And definitely if you're listening, grab a copy of that book. It's called How to Figure Out What to Do with Your Life Next. Um, There's a link to it in the description in in the show notes of this episode. So definitely check that out. Um, I, I am curious because, you know, you mentioned like kind of prototyping and trying these different careers, see which one would be a good fit essentially just doing a test to see if it would be a good, a good fit for you. Um, what's, where would you find the balance there between there's some people that have made their entire life's mission to just test out things. You know, they try things, they, they will dive into it for a little bit and try something else. Uh, when do you make the decision to jump in full force into something versus experimenting? Because there's a lot of different options to try out. So how do you make sure that you don't lose valuable time, but also experiment with some of these different uh, topics and and positions? I think the answer is really different for everyone. Mm -hmm. It depends on things like, you know, how many different careers you want to test out before you're ready to make a decision, how deep you want to go into each of them, how much time you have available to do so, which might be partly dictated by how much money you have Mm -hmm. to take or like what your general schedule is like. And so I've heard everything ranging from a fellow who took a whole year off and tried a week at 52 different jobs, so a different job each week, to people who've you know, figured out their, what their next career step in a matter of a week. Hmm. So it, it really depends. It's certainly something that you can do on the side of an existing job, whereas other people like myself might choose to quit. Um, I just found the corporate environment so stifling that I needed some like headspace to try and figure out my next step. But I think at some point you probably need to choose and not keep experimenting, although there are some careers that allow you to keep experimenting, like let's say consulting perhaps, or research or different areas where you can continue learning about different industries, although using the same skill set often. But at some point you probably want to choose, although your choice doesn't need to be the choice that you have for the rest of your life. I have a friend who went from being an actress to becoming a software engineer. I have another friend who went from being a lawyer to owning a network of pole and dance studios. Hmm. And so people change careers on average at least seven times in their life. So the choice you make today doesn't have to be the choice forever. And when you decide you want to do something else, you can resume the prototyping method or another method that works for you. How important are mentors or like masterminds in that process? Is it important to get around other people and ask them what they think you should pursue? Is it is it good to have someone kind of maybe curate some of those experiences for you? Or is this something you kind of have to do on your own? Well, I think it's different for everyone. For me, I found mentorship to be completely valuable hmm. and super helpful to just hear people's experiences There's other ways you can learn too, like reading books or uh, listening to podcasts or, you know, it's a mix of reaching out to people one-on-one and consuming content that they may have already created. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, 
look, this is really interesting. I want to take us into our final uh, random round. But first, I do want to ask one question because you have been a very sought after speaker. You've spoken for TEDx and a lot of different platforms that I think people would love to be on. And do you have any advice? And this is kind of a selfish question because this is something that is one of my big goals here in the next year or so is to get on some stages. Do you have any advice to somebody who has never gotten on stage? Maybe they've you know put out some content in other formats, but they want to make that jump. Uh, what advice would you give to someone uh, parentheses me, uh, who would want to get into something like that? That's a great question. I would say, see if you can offer yourself up as a speaker to an existing conference or event. That could be a good way to get started if, if you're not receiving like inbound opportunities and you could mention your different credentials and why you might be a fit. It could be as big or as small as you want. Like, Often groups are looking for speakers to speak to a group of students, for example. Mm. That could be a neat one to get started with. And then once you have secured something of any size, then it's all about preparing your talk. And so for that, there's a lot of different books that I feel like are helpful. Specifically, I like ones that are aimed at helping people become TEDx speakers and TED and TEDx have a lot of great literature on their website of how to develop that format of talk, which I think is really helpful. And so once you have your speech date, then you can work backwards to develop your talk, practice it, and get ready to deliver it. And something I actually didn't start doing until recently was hiring a speaker's coach. But I found that to be super helpful just to get feedback on how my ideas were being received and how to organize a talk that I was giving. So that could be something to consider as well. I also like watching other people's talks and seeing how they structure them, seeing how they communicate their ideas. And then once you have your first speaking engagement, it's great to get a video recording of it. And if it goes well, then, you know, which hopefully it will, you can then use that uh, to have on your website that can help other people find you as a speaker, or you can use that to send to prospective um, organizations or conferences that you might want to speak at or that might want you to speak there. And then at some point, it could be interesting to pursue speaker representation where you're represented by a speaker's bureau and then they negotiate your speaking gigs for you and help you find speaking gigs. So that's sort of a, a path that I would recommend. And it could also be helpful to get some, if you, if folks don't already have this already to get some um, like theatrical training, whether that's mm. improv or um, like a speaking course to be able to work on your stage presence. Right. That's super helpful. It, you mentioned a couple different books. Uh, do you have a specific one in mind that you'd recommend to somebody to to check out? Like that would be like, hey, if you want a basic guide to get started, this would be the book I'd recommend or maybe one that's helped you specifically. So the book I would recommend is TED Talks, the official guide to public speaking. And that one is written by Chris Anderson, the curator of TED. And I gotcha. found that to be quite helpful 
There's also another one called How to Deliver a TED Talk by Jeremy Donovan, which I remember was quite helpful. And I haven't, I don't think I've read, I'm not sure if I've read this one or not, but there's one called Talk Like Ted I've heard by that one mentioned a Gallo, lot. Yeah. which is also uh, related to that topic. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'll, I'll put links to those as well for anyone anyone listening. But uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to know because I've I've listened to a lot of different. Obviously, I think everyone's listened to a lot of TED talks at this point. Uh, but um, you know, I've listened to a lot, and it's it's fascinating to me how people structure these talks. Um, and so I was curious what your perspective was as someone who's obviously spoken on the TED stage, and you know, have have really just made a. I mean, it's almost a, another career, you know, speaking and, and be able to share your message. That's really, really cool and really helpful. Um, I do want to transition us here into our random rounds. So these are just a couple random questions with some quick answers and uh, try to get you get to know you just a little bit more before we wrap up the conversation. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I think it would be fun to be a pop star. For sure. Like Lady Gaga seems like a pretty awesome career. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Steve Jobs. Because hmm. I have a lot of admiration for the company and products he created, regardless of how controversial some of his <laughs> work ethic or um, work methods were. But yeah, I'd really like to learn more from him. Is there a certain question that you'd like to ask him that you've never heard covered anywhere or that nobody, that as far as you know, has ever asked him? Well, I actually haven't found that much information about him hmm. in my reading. Like I watched the movie, read the biography, listened to the commencement speech, but I still feel like he was a bit of a mystery. Like I would have liked to shadow him for a day hmm. and see how he actually conducted his work or see recordings of that. That's what I would like to learn from him. What's your favorite way to learn new information? Is it through books? Is it through podcasts, videos? What's your favorite way to consume information? I think my favorite way is through books. I really love reading books. And particularly these days, I really like reading memoirs, hmm. almost going on a journey with the author. So I'd say that's my favorite way. Can you give me a glimpse of your morning routine? Well, I would really love to say that it involved like meditation, exercise, reading, journaling, you know, all this wonderful stuff that I guess a lot of people think you're supposed to have as part of your morning routine. And sometimes I do. But other times, you know, I just wake up naturally whenever my body feels like waking me up, have some nice breakfast, maybe some oatmeal or something, walk my dog, and then get started with work. Yeah. So sometimes it's, uh, you know, a comprehensive routine, and other times it's uh, just get going. Are you a lot more of a night person than, yes, than a morning person? Yeah. Can you tell me your go-to pump-up song? Probably... Amazing by Seal, hmm. where the key lyrics are, everyone thinks you're amazing. <laughs> awesome. What's something that you're not very good at? I am not good at baseball. Hmm. That is not something that I have ever managed to find much success at. We have that in common, so <laughs> that's good. Uh, 
Uh, what's the one place online where someone can connect with you the most? Uh, they can check out my website, jennifertrulick.com. That's T-U-R-L-I-U-K.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, definitely head over to the show notes and connect with Jennifer. It's, it's, there's a lot of really good information out there, a lot of uh, information you can find about what you're doing. And uh, I really hope that people connect. And definitely, I mentioned it before, grab a copy of her book. It's in the show notes. Just do it before the episode ends because you will forget to pick it up later. Um, at least add it to your cart so you remember to, to grab it uh, once this episode's over. But thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.